At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Dana Mark. We have now reached the month of June, and it seems like 2021 is going by real, real fast. It's 88 degrees up here in, in Jersey, feels like 93, so it's a hot one today. But uh, before I get into the current events, I just want to get y'all to understand or ask you all for your support for the Baby Buns for Life Network. It was founded by the Graves family because they know and understand all too well the feeling of uncertainty that comes with premature birth. After 17 years of struggling with infertility and numerous miscarriages, they were finally expecting. Unfortunately, their son was born at only 23 weeks, weighing only 13 ounces, and was given less than a 1% chance of survival. And he spent 356 days in the NIC unit. But... The family has been featured on many media outlets for their inspiring story and the way they give back, even during their difficult times. Many media outlets like WRC 8 News, People Mag- People's Magazine, Rachel Ray, The Doctors, Good Morning America, Virginia Currents, Essence Magazine, and BlackDoctors.org have shared their story. They've also partnered with March of Dimes, March for Babies, VA Special Olympics, and other organizations to expand their efforts. Um... Their mission is to educate, inspire, and provide support to the families of premature babies. Every parent of children born prematurely will see their kids grow into health, happy, healthy, happy boys and girls. And their purpose is to provide education and social services to a community of families with premature babies. They definitely need your support. Um, if you have any questions, email info at babybunsforlifenetwork.org. It is a 501c3 organization, so all your uh, donations will be tax deductible. We call them 13 ounces of faith, and um, they definitely need your support. So if your heart leads you in that direction, we thank you in advance. All right. Now, in other news, a Texas mother was arrested posing as a student, a 13-year-old student. So she said, I did this to prove a point. 
and she posed as her 13-year-old daughter. So in El Paso, Texas, a 30-year-old mother who was arrested after posing as her daughter at a Texas middle school said she did it to push for better security. Casey Garcia, who jail records show is 4 feet 11 inches tall and weighs 105 pounds, was arrested on one count each of criminal trespass and tampering with government records, El Paso County Sheriff's Office officials said. She was also arrested on an unrelated traffic warrant. The deputies were notified Tuesday by San Elizario Independent School District officials of Garcia Trasno School grounds and posing as a student, Sheriff's Office officials said. Several posts were made on social media documenting her posing as a student, officials said. An investigation led to two warrants being issued for her arrest. In a YouTube video titled, Why I Pose as My 13-Year-Old Daughter, a raw but real answer, she says she dyed her hair and used skin tanner to pose as the girl. She says that after she was asked for her ID number at the school and whether she had signed in, she was allowed inside. She says school staff was more concerned about her phone being out than in who she actually was. She says she was the only student in one of her classes, adding the teachers were so preoccupied with the students that were online that they weren't paying attention to the students that were there physically. She praises her daughter's teachers, but says it is a problem at all schools. I bet you anything someone else can do this, she says in the video. This is why I did this, whether you agree with me or not. Later, she says, I think the deal breaker for me was actually walking in and posing as a seventh grader. I mean, I'm no spring chicken, but it wasn't hard. And I made it to all seven periods until the last teacher, she was female. And she said, Julie, can you stay after class? And I said, absolutely. She looked at me and she said, you're not Julie. No, I'm not, she said, she replied. I took off my mask, I took off my glasses, and I said, no, I'm not Julie. I'm Julie's mom. And she said, why? Garcia says, I think she was really mind-boggling. She had no idea what the hell just happened. She asked, I said, for a social experiment. I wanted to see if I could make it the entire day without anyone noticing. I stay up until seventh period. I think that's a very long day for a 30-year-old. Garcia says, I did this to prove a point. I prove I can get through the public school system. She adds, I had lunch without my mask on. I mean, I thought that was going to be the deal breaker, but it's not. Appearing to remark on the feedback she's received online, she says somebody commented that I look 35. That was rude. <laughs> and as for people who say the situation is nuts, she says absolutely is nuts because you don't understand my integrity. You don't understand why I did it or if there was a real reason or if there wasn't. She explains her motivation. I'm telling you right now, we need better security at our school, she says in the video. This is what I tried to prove. I kind of feel like I proved it. And she said that during her day at the school, she was nervous, had trouble breathing, and wanted to throw up after every class. As to why she stayed, she said, I stayed because, look, no one noticed I was there. That is a problem. She says, I was, hey, put your phone away. I was not a name. I was not a person. I was, hey, put your phone away. Then she talks about mass shootings. The first one should have never happened, she says, adding, I think that we need metal detectors. I don't think that backpacks are a good idea. She says she understands that some parents might see the situation as weird. Are you more concerned that I, a parent, would sit next to your child? Or do we really want to wait for the next person taking their Second Amendment right to the extreme? She says, I didn't do this for any other reason but to prove a point. She says, I'm sorry that it had to be that specific school district. I'm very sorry. 
they're all wonderful people. The principal is the nicest, per, nicest person I've ever met. And I'm sorry that it had to be you. She declines to name the school throughout the video. Instead, she says I'm proving a point that this is with all school systems, private and public. It doesn't matter. We have a problem. There have been one too many mass shootings in school. She also comments on the stir her action has created. This has gone way too far. And my integrity is really being put into place. So might as well just God gave me a strong personality for a reason. Here it is. She says, I expose the dangers of our schools and I'm trying to protect my children and yours. If you want to come after me for that, there's really nothing else I can say. She apologizes again to the school and says the people there have been nice to her and her daughter. They don't know us clearly, but (laughs) let's make this a change. She says if she can help prevent another school shooting by her push for metal detectors and improved security, then all the hate that has been directed at her will have been worth it. Deputies assigned to the school resource officer section arrested Garcia at a home in San Elizario. Garcia was booked on Friday into the El Paso County Jail on bonds totaling $7,908. A jail log shows that she was released later that day. Now, when you look at that, you know what? She did prove a point. I mean, damn, she lasted seven whole periods and nobody knew who she was. We got to talk about that, but that's for another conversation. So <laughs> right now, it's the six-man Dan Geronimo in the studio. And from NJ to NC, I am here with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So, Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. Everything's good right here in North Carolina. You know, I'm chilling, doing a thousand and one things, as always, keeping busy, as always. You know, got a thousand and one projects going on and all of that, but definitely rocking and rolling. I know you're rocking and rolling in New Jersey. We've been having yeah. some scorching weather. I don't know what y'all's weather's been like, but it's been scorching <laughs> over here. And, of course, oh, we've had pop-up thunderstorms. What were you saying, Dean? It's hot. That's all I said. It's hot, bro. Yeah. It's hot. It's hot? Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> it is definitely hot here as well It is some crazy hot weather I don't know what we're going to do But deal with this hot weather And try to cope with it One way or the other But there's no doubt That it is definitely hot And it's very hot around here But of course you know It's also hot with the Philadelphia 76ers Because they lost game one And I do not like that Because you know Doc Rivers is my schoolmate And I'm definitely trying to help him Win a championship but it is not helping that he is losing an early game and all of that. Right. Well, you know what? So, any 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 game could be your last. I mean, you know, it's not guaranteed that they're going to lose. It's not guaranteed they're going to win. But, you know, they, they hey, they're doing some things right now. So you never know. The spirit of Philadelphia might um, take them into the next level of the, of, the, of the playoffs. So, you know, it remains to be seen what, what happens with that. I hope so. I hope that that's going to be the case because I need some good luck with my playoffs. I'm also been rooting for the Carolina Hurricanes and all of that. And definitely that is not been going all that well either because uh, they're down 3-1. So, you know, the home state team is not looking good. We only got one Stanley Cup and all of that, but it's not looking too strong for us and everything. Well, hey, like I said, man, I'm waiting for September, bro. <laughs> I, I know I, you're a football guy. Yeah, I'm a football dude. I can only take one level of stress per year. And I take that during football season. You know, 
and bite your nails and waiting for your team to come through. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But, you know, I, I can only um, deal with one stressor per year, and, and that is football. I don't know if I could take a stress in baseball and basketball and, you know, all the tennis, golf. You know, some people can do it year-round, but the six-man Dean Geronimo is only good for one season per year. That's it. <laughs> that is it, too. Just one oh, at yeah. a time. Just one at a time. Man. Just one at a time, and, and then, you know, we go from there and see what ends up happening. So, you know, we, we take it slow. You know, the older I get, yeah, the less faith I have. So. Yeah, we've been dealing with some other crazy stuff, too, because we've also had uh, definitely some things going on even in our baseball. Cause, you know, we had a baseball player in minor league baseball that got hit upside the head. He literally got mm. hit upside the head with a baseball ball, and, you know, he was in uh, some very serious condition. It's not like he'll be playing baseball anymore. Looks like his career is over, but it does look like he is in stable condition, so it does look right. like he will be able to live and all of that. But when I talk to my friend Jatobi, who I do the Gamers Den with and some other kind of things around events and stuff like that, he gave me the impression that he thought his baseball career was done. But, you know, he come back foolish. You know, there have been incidences where folks have come back and fooled us, but we'll see how that plays out or doesn't play out. Wow. Yeah, man. And you yeah, know man, what? Oh, dad. You know what I forgot, man? Condolences to the family of uh, Clarence Williams III played uh, Detective Link Hayes in the Mod Squad back in the late 60s, early 70s. He also played um, Prince's dad in Purple Rain, 1984. You know, he's played in a few other movies, a whole lot of other movies, but passed away from colon cancer, so... Oh, wow. uh, I think it was maybe about a couple of days ago, but condolences. Great actor, man. Going to be with the rest of the Angels at this time, so you know. Yeah, condolences definitely go out to him. You know, that's sad. Anytime that we lose folks like that and everything, definitely, you know, sad times when there's been folks lost, whether it's been through uh, COVID or whether it's been through, as you just said, with this gentleman, colon cancer or a number of other things that are uh, out there taking lives and all of that. So our condolences definitely go out to that uh, person. And we know a lot of times these are some great folks that have done some amazing things. I actually had the privilege of helping my friend Eric Kelly with one of his black business expos, and he's got Bruce George as one of his speakers. And Bruce George has got this platform called Genius is Common. So it's basically this whole concept that our genius is very common and that we don't need to be thinking of genius as abnormal and all of that. And some some of the people he had were some legends as well because he had Antonio Fargus and George Duke and some of the people Huggy that would bear. come on and say genius is common as well as the last poets. So he had some amazing last geniuses, in, I mean geniuses in general. So they came on and gave their words and everything about, you know, motivating people and trying to get folks to be motivated. It sounds like they're trying to put together a campaign that would be similar to Sprite or similar to, um, you know, the Sprite symbol, Obey Your Thirst, or Nike, Just Do It, or some of the things along that line. So, you know, this could be something that we see on a national or international time as we continue moving forward. So it might be something that we see where it's like, wow, that genius is common thing is amazing. Indeed, man, indeed. So, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, we got, you know, Mr. Kamala going out and doing some work in the community. I think that she's getting some very difficult assignments, but she can handle Bruh. it. I got no doubt that she can handle the border wall. No, she can handle nah, they uh, a lot of these Guatemala. <laughs> 
She went to Guatemala, man, and, and they had her, you know, what do you tell potential migrants? You know what I'm saying? And, and she ended up telling them, don't flock to the border because you're going to get turned away if you do. You know what I mean? So she says, I want to emphasize that the goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region um, who are thinking about making the dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. Wow, like put her up to the dirty work, you know what I mean? But right, that comes with the job. So, hey, we got somebody at the door, bro. Yeah, let's bring you. Out. Let's bring you away from the door. We are gonna find out who who is here right now and uh, bring them on in. Welcome to Straight Talk with Dana Mark. You are now on the line. Please tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Hi, my name is Jennifer Beck, and I'm calling from Denver. Oh, hello. And I believe, Jennifer, how are you doing, Jennifer? Jennifer has been working in some very interesting space, if I remember correctly. Jennifer was the young lady that I said I was going to be getting in touch with that has been doing work in the an industry that has become very big in Denver, which is the cannabis industry, if I remember it correctly, and everything along those lines. So if you could share a little bit about your background and what you're doing, and then we might have some other guests that come in. But I do remember, you know, I've had some great guests that have been that I reached out to, or they had reached out to me through some of these services like Potted and Podguest, and Jennifer was one of those. So I'd love to hear more about what she's got going on and uh, what's going on in that world, because we do know that definitely we're seeing more opportunities, but we're also hearing that we're not seeing enough minority opportunities. But I'd love to hear her thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you for having me, and I've been really enjoying listening to your show. You guys are so dynamic, and it's um, thank you for all the interesting updates. I had a long day of work, and this was really nice. So, um, but yeah, I, I came from the legal cannabis industry. We started the first and at the time largest electronic wholesale marketplace to connect the growers with the dispensaries. So that was still all being done on the phone. Like, do you want to buy some pot? And we thought there was a big opportunity as Colorado's legal market opened up to um, make that more of a, a data, like in, like in eBay or something. You could see what was online. You could see price transparency. You could see um, how many people were interested in buying a particular product before you bought it. And so that company was called Cannabase, and it was really fun. It was really fun to be involved in the early stages of legalization. I was the vice chair of the Colorado Cannabis Chamber of Commerce for a couple of years, and We've been involved in um, advocacy for responsible legalization um, and then sold that platform in 2016 and in 2019 started but didn't launch until this January um, a CBD company, which I know there's a lot of CBD companies out there, um, but they're mostly, a lot of them are the same. So we saw an opportunity to do something pretty different and use our experience and that's what we're growing now. Could you tell us a little bit about um, CBD? Because you're right, every time I turn around, I'm running across people that are selling various CBD products, even here in North Carolina. Some of them are even doing it in some of the, um, what I guess I would call the natural stores or kind of like the organic stores and things of that nature. I know that there's a store in Chapel Hill. I know that there are a couple of folks here that have like their uh, independent stores and everything, but it does seem like it's a booming industry. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the difference between the CBD kind of oils and cannabis and also why it is so booming. Because every time I turn around, it seems like somebody is getting involved in this business. 
<laughs> you're right. <laughs> that is one of the challenges. There are so many companies right now, um, but it's good. There's a, there's a lot to choose from. So CBD versus cannabis is a great question. CBD cannot get you high. The CBD that you're seeing sold across the country is derived from hemp. It's not derived from um, like a cannabis plant that would be licensed under the state cannabis program. So in order to be classified as hemp, it's the same plant. It's the cannabis sativa plant, but by law, it needs to have less than 0.3% THC. And so an industrial hemp grower with less than 0.3% THC is now, because of the 2018 Farm Bill, so this is very new, um, able to grow and sell and then extract CBD or other cannabinoids um, for use to be sold commercially, you know, kind of across the country without restriction versus being a cannabis business, which is state by state um, and cannot cross state lines. So when you're a cannabis business, you're a licensed grower, uh, edibles manufacturer, or retail dispensary, and um, your product is tagged from seed to sale. It's really, really strict compliance. And, um, and you're allowed to have THC freely in your product. And THC is the psychoactive component, so that's what gets you high. Why CBD is so interesting um, and kind of why it's worth all the fuss is because it interacts with the body's endocannabinoid system. So our body has this network of receptors. Endocannabinoid just means cannabinoids produced naturally in our body, our cannabinoids. And so we have receptors all over our bodies for our natural cannabinoids. And actually, one of our primary cannabinoids um, is called anandamide, which is a Sanskrit word for bliss, because it's like this bliss molecule. It's kind of the impact it has on the body. Um, there's multiple layers of this endocannabinoid system in the body. So there's endocannabinoid receptors in our skin, and there's endocannabinoid system in our central nervous system and in our brain. So one thing that we really honed in on is the difference between topical CBD versus um, ingesting CBD. They're going to have completely different effects on the body because you're, you're interacting with a different set of receptors. But there's all of these amazing benefits to utilizing CBD, and that's why people are so excited about it. What we think is kind of the missed opportunity in the products that are out there is that they're treating it like, first of all, a lot of it is produced by the same people. There's a couple major manufacturers that white label their products. So they make a big vat of lotion, and thousands of companies buy that lotion and put their label on it. And it's really cost-effective. But the products are kind of, um, at their worst, they're junky and, and not good. And at their best, they're kind of basic and boring and, and don't live up to the full potential of what they could be. They have just like a really basic lotion and they shove it full of as much CBD as they can put into it. Versus our products are proprietary active formulas with lots of other ingredients that complement and bring out the best in the CBD. Their products you use even without CBD. And so they're much more um, effective, they're much more pleasurable to use, and you're not just kind of getting this big dose of CBD, you're getting this well-rounded product. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and everything. I can definitely see where that would be the case. Now, I know in uh, hearing about uh, research to you and everything that another part of the industry that a lot of people are fascinated by, and I do want to continue with the CBD as well, is hemp. And I know that definitely a lot of people forget, but a friend of mine is a poet, and he actually remembers, and one of his poems features the fact that the Declaration of Independence might have been written on hemp, or at least some hemp-type product and everything, because that's one of the things that his kids 
punchline within his poem and everything. But I was wondering if you could share a little bit about the hemp market as well, because that seems to be growing also. Yeah, hemp is an incredible, incredible plant. It can be used for fiber, for food. Um, It has endless benefits. Like even, okay, so here's something when you're looking at skincare, CBD skincare. In a lot of skincare, you'll see hemp seed oil. And you need to look specifically if there's hemp seed oil or CBD, um, which can be in the form of an oil, which would be a phytocannabinoid-rich hemp extract. So it's kind of nuanced. Hemp seed oil is one of the most incredible oils in the entire world. It's so rich. and I think it might be one of the most omega-rich oils you can even get. It's so incredibly nourishing. It's so incredibly powerful. And that doesn't have CBD in it. That's just the hemp plant. That's the oil extracted from the hemp plant. Um, And then we – so our serum has hemp oil, and then it also has CBD. But, yeah, the the hemp plant has so many different applications, and what's – just been interesting is the ramifications of the war on drugs um and like you were talking about equity in the industry um and and diversity because of all of the legislative impacts of the war on drugs we're currently in a place where even if a a more my a more diverse group is able to get a license like a cannabis license the access to funding is so limited that it's nearly impossible to get off the ground. And that's why the cannabis industry is still getting run through big groups of old white guys. And it's super, super frustrating. And one of the topics that I'm most passionate about in terms of advocacy is the Safe Banking Act that's moving its way through. It just passed the House, but it passed the House like three times. So we wanted to pass Congress. And the Banking Act would give access to banking for cannabis businesses and CBD businesses. CBD, because it's federally legal under this hemp farm bill, it's better, but it's not great. It's still kind of associated with cannabis, even for the investment in the banking community. And so what happens is, you know, there's these, there's these social equity programs that open up licenses to more diverse groups of people, but then they can't get funding. They can't access bank accounts. They can't access investors. They can't access lines of credit. And so nothing happens. And these, so that's why the company is still getting, the, the industry is still getting run by, you know, these, these conglomerates and these multi-state operators um, and a lot of people that are coming from the, the Canadian stock market. Hello. Hey, I I don't know if it's. Did I lose you? Well, Mark, I guess it dipped out. I'm not sure if he's down there with a storm or what, but uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Like a lot of people do get confused the uh, cannabis and the CBD, and they think it's all one and the same, and you know, assume that it's one, I guess it's two separate markets instead of one huge market, which can be misunderstood. Am I right or wrong? Absolutely. Yes. There are two different industries. The Mm -hmm. CBD industry like spawned out of the cannabis industry. So we had the legal cannabis industry first, which Mm -hmm. is um, still federally illegal. So that's why I'm complaining about federal access to banking. On a federal level, they still right. have not said this is a legal thing. So banks, 
institutions, investors, you know, can't, don't want to touch it because it's federally illegal. Um, and then CBD comes from industrial hemp, which is now legal on a federal level. So that's okay. why you see CBD everywhere, because you get all these benefits, but none of the restrictions that these that cannabis businesses go through. Um, but because of the war on drugs and the implications of the war on drugs still impact both industries, cannabis much more so, but CBD mm-hmm. is by extension. So basically once it is ignited, it changes, I guess, uh, and it's, it's poor from two different things because states now have, and, you, and we see it, states are now legalizing marijuana, and, but the federal government is saying no. We don't care what states do. So at what point, who does the federal law still trump state law? Or has the federal government kind of like stayed out of the way and said, now we're still not going to legalize it, which still restricts the banking and everything else? That's a great question. So the idea is the states have legalized it. The federal government said no. And Obama was amazing. And he came out and said, we're not going to – he gave this really – it was around 2013, and he said really explicitly, we're going to let states do their thing, and we're not going to bother you. And then, of course, when the administration changed, um, there was a lot of fear, especially with Jeff Sessions, about now what's the federal government going to do? Because by law, the federal right. government can do whatever they want to do. They made right. a choice in the Obama administration to respect states' rights. Um, luckily, it just didn't seem to be much of a priority for Trump. <laughs> they had a lot of other stuff they wanted to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so we we got left alone. But um, until but so that's why yes because cannabis is still on a state by state level. There's no selling across state lines. Everything is local versus CBD is national. So not only are there a lot of CBD companies, but you're getting marketed to by CBD companies all across the country. Okay. So it'll be more, uh, I guess, at this point, it'll be a little more beneficial for someone if they were looking to do something uh, past the local level to invest into the CBD as opposed to investing into the, uh, I guess, the recreational marijuana. That's That's such a good question. So in terms of investing, you know, the CBD market is challenging because it's really competitive. And so a lot of people have a wallop about even learning about CBD. Like our products are completely unique and we know the market really, really, really well. But the first thing we have to overcome is just, will it get me high? And I've seen CBD everywhere and I don't want to talk about it. So that's the first challenge in the CBD. That's the major challenge in the CBD market. The major challenge with the cannabis market is um, a bit more nuanced. So you have this, it's local, um, which is actually fine because you're limited in numbers of licenses, so there's going to also be less competition. I don't think the local element is as, as devastating. The problems with being a licensed cannabis business, like a recreational dispensary or a grower, is first you have a ton of licensing fees, so that's really expensive on top of your startup costs. But the bigger thing is that there's this law called 280E, and 280E is another remnant of the war on drugs, that um, they've just left into law. And it's this crazy law that says if your business is selling a federally illegal good, you can't deduct your business costs, your business expenses from your taxes. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's right. <laughs> it's crazy because how are wow. there laws 
for illegal businesses. Um, but there are, and it came from, I don't know, I think it was a story of like a Coke dealer who was trying to deduct business expenses and took it to the Supreme Court. I mean, it's, it's a really crazy one. But wow. it's real and alive in the cannabis industry, and it is very heavily enforced by the IRS. And they've actually increased their resources to increase um, their enforcement of 280E. So without deducting your business expenses, it is nearly impossible to be profitable, um, especially as a heavily regulated business that has a ton of licensing fees and a ton that you have to do to stay compliant um, from lab tests to packaging. Yeah, everything about a, a marijuana business is expensive. And then you have you can't take deductions. So, and then you don't have access to banking. So you can't get a regular line of credit. You can't, you just need really, really, really deep pockets. And that's kept the industry really, um, you know, it's kept the industry in the hands of kind of the same people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to ask. Is I know I was talking to a friend of mine in Canada, and that's one of their great regrets was they were feeling that as um, more and more things were becoming legal, they're in the uh Canadian area, and I would argue the same thing in the United States, that was pushing out the small farmer and pushing out the minority farmer as well. So there was not a whole lot of people that were doing it in the first place in the minority community, but now there's even less because apparently, you know, once you get some things that are corporately uh, wonderful, then the bankers and the lawyers and the folks with the big deep pockets like to take over. We even see that with farming, which is called the big farming as opposed to small farming. Yep. Yep. No, you're you're exactly right. It's very hard to survive as a small business in cannabis, and um, you just you need really deep pockets, and you need to be able to do it without a bank. So um, you have to. It has to just be your money, and it has to be cash. And even the investment community is just really, really hesitant about it. So it's a lot of family offices, and that's a lot of relationships. Or you're coming. You're somehow utilizing the stock market um, as a source of capital. So, it's, yeah, it's completely push. It really does push out small businesses. Wow. And what is your thoughts about it? Because it does seem like we're seeing more and more states that are actually going into legalization, not just with CBD, but also in cannabis. So I know I think that we're, we're like half the states that have some form of legalization, and I guess part of the problem is that every state doesn't have the same rules. So it seems like they're doing almost like a state-by-state rule. So I don't remember what their prohibition was that way because I wasn't even born during that time. But I'm imagining that was probably part of the problem with prohibition is the same thing that we're seeing with legalization, you know, that the laws in Colorado may not be the same as the laws in New Jersey or New York, but they both may want to have some sort of legalization. So is that something else that you've been fighting as you've been in that space as well of trying to get more legalization? Yeah, I mean, what you're explaining is exactly the case, and it's the case not only on a state-by-state level, but on, like, a county level. So dispensaries in Denver deal with completely different rules than dispensaries in Boulder or dispensaries in, I don't know, Westminster. I'm sorry, I'm naming cities in Colorado where I live. Um, So, yeah, different areas have completely different regulations, which just makes it expensive and challenging to scale because even if you're trying to stay within state lines, you you need completely different operations in different areas. And there's a lot of challenges for ancillary service providers. So ancillary service providers are the component of the marijuana community or the CBD community that provide business services to those businesses but don't actually touch the plant themselves or have a license themselves. And that was like our company, Cannabase. 
And cannabis's um, edge and value came from the fact that my husband is a really talented web programmer, developer, and we had a really big development team. And so it was a really um, nuanced database in the back end, how we handled new users and license verification and the compliance and how that compliance switched in different areas or, or across state lines. Um, and so it's, it's incredibly tedious and you don't know when it's going to, you know, when it's going to change. So it's hard to make investments in that sense. Um, the obviously what everyone's waiting for is federal legalization and all of a sudden there's it's alcohol there's blanket laws you can sell anywhere you have access to banking so you know the little guy can can get a loan or, or can get a mortgage and, and can can grow but i have this this cynicism that because the government makes so much money off 280e that law that says you can't deduct your business expenses if it's a fairly legal business, I mean, that doubles their tax revenue. I don't know the actual number, but it must at least double their tax revenue. Um, I don't believe that the federal government is motivated to fully legalize and eliminate that, which will just decrease the taxes. So that's why in my advocacy work, it's always around the Safe Banking Act and getting banking moved through both for the safety of these businesses that are just carrying cash and for the ability to everyone, for everyone to have access to, to capital in a way that's safe and in a way that's affordable. Like in CBD, we pay three times the payment processing rates that another company would pay. You know, all of these costs are prohibitive. Yeah, and it seems like that would also help in some other fields that you're very much supportive of, which is uh, women-owned businesses as well as some of these technology startups. Because I've actually got some friends in the technology startup space, and I know that they oftentimes complain about the same things. They might have these great ingenious ideas even in the technology space, but they don't have the access to the kind of resources that they would like financially to launch them and get them off the ground. So a lot of them are even finding difficult times as well. So it seems to me that some of the things that you are uh, being a proponent for would be helpful to them as well, even if they weren't in the CBD or cannabis market. Absolutely. I mean, access to capital is the is the foundation to being able to start and grow a business. Um, and when when that is off the table and you're just dealing with networks of deep pockets and networks of old money, you are you are leaving out, you know, the women the minorities, the, the smaller business owners that don't have those connections and people that just really have a dream and want to work hard and want to break in, um, it's impossible to compete without the capital. And so I, I do think that's just one of the most important pieces of the social equity programs that are going across in lots of states, which are incredible and fantastic and set aside licenses for underrepresented people. But then how are those underrepresented people being now supported in growing their business and getting the resources they need to compete? And that, that's what makes it true empowerment, you know, versus just a token display of support is really showing up with that financial support or just the ability to let us get our own financial support and, and be accountable for those loans. And I know a lot of times when I'm hearing people talk about the CBT, they're oftentimes putting it in the same thing as the wellness space. And a lot of times there's been a big push, I would argue, because of COVID 
because of people to get more into that wellness space. So could you explain a little bit about CBD's importance in that wellness space and also maybe a little bit about your own thoughts about self-care and self-centered wellness? Because I actually had the privilege of talking earlier today to a woman that's doing some similar kind of work out of Florida, but hers is more yoga-based and kind of around crystals and reiki and things of that nature. She may be using CBD, but it didn't come up in the course of our conversation. But definitely, it was definitely in that same wellness space that we were having a very interesting conversation about the importance of wellness, particularly in these very difficult times that we're in. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, this is, yeah, this is where GHE becomes really exciting. So CBD is fabulous for wellness. Um, the way it works is CBD interacts with these endocannabinoid receptors, and it actually blocks the reuptake or the degradation of our natural endocannabinoids. So what that means is it increases the amount of cannabinoids available in our system. And what we find is that what, what early research is showing is that the cannabinoid system is found throughout the whole body in almost every major organ, and it's involved in, in every organ, it works differently, but it's involved in the maintenance of homeostasis or balance, helping the body and the body systems find balance, which is such an important element of wellness. Um, so we have, the way we designed our line is we have two topicals and a tincture because they work differently. In the skin, um, we have a face serum and a body balm, and in the skin, the CBD helps regulate oil production. It helps increase skin cell turnover. It reduces inflammation. So like our face serum, which is an amazing face serum without CBD, it has hyaluronic acid and vitamins B3 and C and a bunch of really beautiful oils. It's like a really amazing serum. Then you add broad spectrum CBD and it makes it incredible for fighting acne, fighting dryness, um, even the symptoms of skin conditions like eczema or priasis, which are largely caused by an inflammatory response. We can't cure those things but it can really alleviate the symptoms and lead to clear, healthier, more vibrant skin. Um, so we have the face serum, and then we have a body balm, which works similarly, but with more of an emphasis on pain management. It has some other ingredients. Our balm is incredible. It has 19 oils and butters. It's, it's transformative for your skin. It's transformative for your body. And then those two products, these topicals, are interacting in the dermal layer, the skin layer, versus our tincture. So our tincture is called Reverie, the sleep tincture. It goes under the tongue. And that interacts with more the endocannabinoid system and our central nervous system and brain. And that seems to be more involved with these deeper regulatory processes like sleep-wake cycle, appetite, mood. When you see people seeking out CBD, you know, for anxiety or depression, we can't say CBD cures anxiety and depression. And, and I don't think it does. But I think it's really helpful in bringing the systems into balance and in, um, yeah, helping, helping find your best place. Um, and helping you feel better. It really, really does. So our tincture is really unique because a lot of these CBD tinctures are, first of all, most of them are the same, like we've talked about, but they're also gross. They're, um, they're thick, they're hempy, and then they have like a cinnamon or something, and that like masks the hempiness, and it's like kind of like fireball. It's just really bad. Ours is clear. It has um, like a light clove, sweet orange flavor. It's really good. It smells good. And it has these extra ingredients to support sleep. So it has a tiny bit of melatonin, skullcap, California poppy, chamomile. And so you take it a couple hours before bed, and it's really relaxing, and it really helps you get a great night of sleep. 
But then the idea of it is it's non-habit forming and it's really gentle on your body. So you can take it every single day. And as you do, you're kind of finding balance across all these systems. It's making your sleep deeper. It's making your sleep more consistent. It's making you feel better during the day. Um, it helps with exercise recovery. So uh, it's a really multifaceted ingredient, CBD, and it's, I think, brought out best in these, like, these really beautiful formulations that have other active ingredients that complement it. Um, wellness, one of our main principles, which you, you noted, so that's super cool, you were checking out the stuff, that we have this philosophy called self-centered wellness. And mm-hmm. self-centered wellness is the idea that, first of all, it's kind of irksome to hear because nobody wants to be self-centered, and we ask people to look at that. And what is the difference between overextending yourself and being outwardly focused? I'm a workaholic for my job. I'm not eating to look skinny. I'm exhausted to care for my child, but that's because I love them so much. It's the antithesis of burnout and martyrdom culture, and it's the it's us encouraging people to take the time to come in, center within, find that balance, rejuvenate, and then go out into the world with a full cup as your authentic self, which is so healing, not just for you, but for everyone else, that then you get permission to do the same. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you definitely need that. But it also sounds like it's very important in when I was reading about your self-centered wellness in some very difficult situations, like you even talk about it being involved with postpartum depression and a number of other things as well. So definitely I was wondering if you could talk about how that plays a part in that as well because you were even talking about how it could help. Uh, you said women, but I'd imagine even men with the eating disorders as well. So I was wondering if you could talk about how this self-centered wellness can help with the whole concept of both um, the women with postpartum experiences, and I imagine even men can sometimes have postpartum uh, depressions or experiences of one sort or another, but definitely we know that both men and women can have eating disorders. So I was wondering if you could talk about a little bit of that and how it plays into that as well. Absolutely. Um, thank you for, you know, taking the time to really dive into it. Um, yeah, so my personal history informed or kind of, you know, laid the foundation for some of these GE concepts that we explore. In my personal history, I had a very severe eating disorder um, throughout high school and college, and then immediately hopped from that into my cannabis technology workaholic phase, And then I gracefully transitioned from there into motherhood and a really extreme postpartum experience. Um, My daughter had undiagnosed food allergies, so she was reacting to my breast milk and not sleeping. And I had postpartum hypothyroidism, which means my thyroid crashed, and I wasn't diagnosed with that for about seven months. So we didn't even know we were, you know, the mess we were until I got shingles when she was about seven months old. Um, So... Self-centered wellness is this combating of this this outward orientation and dissociating from our bodies, which is, you know, what we tend to do when we feel discomfort and how we numb out, which can be all sorts of different looks and feels for different people. Um, for me, it manifested in eating, eating control, um, you know, the hormonal shifts with postpartum depression. And we believe that you can – we can begin to heal ourselves when we attune to when we attune to the voices and the wounds inside of us, which take takes courage and it takes time and it takes support. And the idea of jihi, the word jihi means compassion in Japanese, and ji means to spread joy, and he means to ease pain. 
And we loved this idea of compassion with the self as a way to heal ourselves and as a way to heal the world around us. And so we provide through Chihi and this concept of self-centered wellness a lot of different tools, many of which I've discovered on my very bumpy journey, like meditation, and we do energy work, which is, if you're into it, great, and if you're not, that's okay, but it's just a form of meditation that helps you kind of decipher what's your energy and what are you picking up from the people around you and how do I kind of clear my space or drop my day or drop stress in a way that isn't numbing out through not eating, I'm exercising too much. Now I'm just giving it all to my daughter, you know, this, this constant outpouring of self. Um, and so we, we love, that's really what we explore in GE. These products are a way to support you in connecting with your body and, and being your most vibrant self and being your most balanced self they're a real treat for the body. They're beautiful to use, and they're really enjoyable. And then we encourage you to, you know, we have these other tools. We have journaling tools. We have meditation tools to take that time and connect and, and work through what, you know, what's holding you back from, from living fully. Um, we've also expanded this concept into our Spreading Joy initiatives, which are going to go live here within the next couple of weeks. You can, you can check it out. Um, on spreadjoy.ghi.com, the spreadjoy.ghi.com. And we are going to be giving the gift of self-centered wellness to people in our communities because we know that there's inherent privilege to these concepts that I'm talking about in terms of, you know, purchasing these great products that are so good for you and taking time to meditate and reflect. And, like, that, all of that is really great in theory. But um, there are a lot of burnout people that – you know, maybe haven't been able to prioritize that for themselves. So we're going to launch these spreading joy initiatives to, of course, give out full sets of GE, but then also to support people in other ways. They have time and space to connect with themselves and um, to share their stories when possible. So our first initiative is this summer we're launching a long haulers campaign. You can nominate someone on the website, um, the spread joy website, if you know of any amazing nurses that have been fighting this last year. Nurses are going through my gosh, so much burnout, anxiety, depression, and we're going to be gifting spa days and care packages to nurses across the country and highlighting their stories and asking them for advice. How do we protect our mental health as we all go back into this crazy world where so much has come up for everyone in the last year? Because that's what happens when we all go in quarantine and we all go within. Stuff comes out, and that's the point. Um, but so that's going to be the long haulers campaign. And then we're going to be doing an eating disorder event here in Colorado at a ranch in September, um, with a horse therapist and some amazing speakers and, um, guided meditations and just different inspirational content to help people that are in the grips of disordered eating and trouble with their bodies, uh, envision a life outside of their disorder and, and be inspired to see new tool sets and new ways of loving and caring for themselves. Um, so we'd love, you know, anybody that is listening to this that, that would like to be involved in any way or just follow along, you know, definitely check out that site. Um, but that's, I'm sorry, that was a long-winded way of telling you all about our commitment to wellness. <laughs> yeah, could you also talk a little bit about CBD and how it works? Because some of our folks, uh, you've explained some of it, but some of our folks may be, you know, listening to the presentation and going like, how does CBD work? How does it work with our body? And how does it actually do the magic that it does? Because like I said, I know I've even got some laying around my house and haven't even used it, even though it was given as a gift. So I need to know how it works as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have these naturally produced cannabinoids in our body 
and they interact in the endocannabinoid receptors in ways that now, so everything I'm saying is a mix of like biology, things we know. We know these cannabinoids exist and we know these endocannabinoid receptors exist and we can watch how they interact. The, the um, understanding of the effects that has on our bodies and what that cures or fixes or heals. It's like, those are all words I'm not allowed to say. We don't know that because that's, that's not FDA approved and the studies are very nascent. So we're looking at the biology of what we know, and then we're looking at a lot of anecdotal evidence and early studies in animals to try and begin to understand how it impacts the body and how it impacts our health. It is unique for everyone, and we have trackers on our website. So if you're new to CBD, you could check out our bullet journals, and those could help you integrate it into your lifestyle. That's on our GE website on the journal page. Um, but with those kind of disclaimers out of the way, what uh, you know, what we what we know it does, and what we think it does is that. Um, so we have these naturally occurring cannabinoids that in, that interact with these endocannabinoid receptors to help maintain balance across the body. So in the skin, we're talking about inflammation, um, oil production, dryness, skin cell turnover, the the general health of the dermis of the top layer of the skin in the body. On the second layer of the endocannabinoid system, so it's a different set of receptors, operates in the brain and in the central nervous system. And those, for to, to impact those endocannabinoid receptors, you need to take the CBD orally. So you're either eating something or like for us, we have our tincture. You're taking our tincture every night. So it depends on your method of delivery. Is it topical or are you ingesting it? And if it's topical, I, that's pretty obvious. Helps with your skin balance, clear skin, looking good, feeling good, reducing inflammation, um, and then, you know, potentially pain. That's why we use it for pain bombs and stuff. It works with other ingredients really well to help alleviate localized pain and inflammation. If you're taking a, an oral CBD, like our tincture, then it's interacting with these endocannabinoid receptors in the central nervous system in the brain, and that's where we see the effects across the body ranging from helping restore sleep-wake balance to appetite regulation, mood regulation. People find that it helps them. If it, if a lot of people seek it out because they're feeling anxious or they're, um, they're looking for a natural solution. We find that it works great with our sleep supplement because it really helps. It's the whole combination of ingredients helps mellow you out, put you to sleep, keep you asleep, and over time just works better and better. So like most drugs, if you take them, that's not the impact. So you take a little bit and you need to start taking more and it kind of stops working. CBD is sort of, it's different than that, where it might take time to, for it to, you to feel the difference, for you to notice that you're using it. But over time, it really, you can really feel the impact. Um, on a scientific level, when you're asking like, how does the CBD work? I think it's interesting that CBD doesn't actually interact with these endocannabinoid receptors. So THC does. The psychoactive component of the cannabis plant, which is only in licensed cannabis businesses, not in our business and not in just CBD businesses, but THC interacts right in that endocannabinoid receptor. It goes in the receptor and gets you high. What CBD actually does is it blocks the receptor. And so it, as our natural cannabinoids start to build, um, it blocks the receptor from either from breaking down the cannabinoids that are being produced. 
it blocks them from reuptaking the cannabinoids that are being produced, and it actually appears to modify the receptor itself. So the receptor is less likely to be over or understimulated. So you can kind of look at it like the CBD helps balance the system that helps us balance. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of women entrepreneurs. My mom was involved in the nonprofit world and all of that, and I know that you're definitely an advocate for women entrepreneurship. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about women in entrepreneurship and whether we're doing enough to support you ladies in entrepreneurship and what we can do better if we're not doing enough. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on women entrepreneurship. Like I said, my mom was more involved on the nonprofit side, but she and my dad did run a um, community radio station, so that was definitely a form of entrepreneurship for sure. But definitely, I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, you ladies in entrepreneurship. Well, go your mom, and you know it really just goes to show how um, kids that are raised by women who are out there and doing it, they they carry that torch. You know, it's just the fact that it's it's still on your mind and it, you're you're still interested in it, I think says says a lot. Um, for other women, for for women to see, um, you know, being a woman entrepreneur is is challenging across the life cycle. I think um, when I was younger, and I when we did cannabis, I was 24, and we were in marijuana and we were in technology, so we were in just really masculine spaces, and uh, it was really challenging. And I think one of the challenges for women entrepreneurs is that women are not comfortable and people aren't comfortable with women talking about money and um, that is entrepreneurship is is money whether or not it's yours you're moving money you're understanding money you're raising money you're selling for money it's all about money and it was amazing for me walking into meetings and you know men were talking like like you talk about sports you know I I raised this and we closed this for that and this is what this is worth and and it's just like it's just kind of updating each other but when I would talk about money, it was like, who who trusted you with that? <laughs> Why do you get so, you know, are you okay? Can you handle that? You know, don't be neurotic about it. It, it was people, And then in, in my own spaces, in my own community, it's not like it was very hard to find support and people to talk to sometimes in a sense because I didn't have a big world that wanted to talk to me about money. I mean, so I think being a woman entrepreneur can be very isolating. It can be challenging to feel like you're competing and keeping up with the guys. And, and then you try and kind of act like them or, or you know, fake it until you make it and it makes everyone uncomfortable. So some of that is just um, women in business is new. As I've gotten older and don't worry as much about, about how I'm perceived and, um, and, and I'm used to that side of things, it has been very challenging balancing being a mom and, and running a business. And some of that is societal, and a lot of it's biological, um, that it's just hard. It's just hard to shake it when she's crying because she used to go to school and I'm working all day and I, I feel guilty and, and am I making the right choices. So I think – and then early child care is really, really important because the childbearing ages are also, you know, peak or important career years. For most women now, you know, a lot of women graduate college and, and have some sort of a career before they have a kid. And if you just stop, you know, I stopped for three years between the sales cannabis and coming back to Gigi, and I could feel the irrelevance factor. I could feel that three years, that gap in my, in my network and in my influence and in everything I was doing. 
And if I had allowed that gap to be 10 years, could I have even come back and been like and used my old experience? It would have been such an old story. I don't even think it would have it would have disappeared in a way. And so to stay in the game, to keep up the momentum that I built through college and my early entrepreneurial years, to keep it up, um, means running a startup with a little baby at home. And that's challenging. And for a lot of parents, it's hard for us. Getting early childcare is really, really challenging. Like getting into a preschool, if I have one piece of advice for moms in Denver, Colorado, and I don't know how it is where you guys live, you need to get on preschool lists when you're pregnant. And I didn't do that because that's crazy. And when she was six months old, we got on a waiting list, and it would be four years till she was going to get in a preschool. So, um, and then private nannies are really, really, really expensive. So the child care element is real. And when, you know, politicians are advocating for that, that early child care education to be done on a state level, the fact that, you know, everyone here gets, child, gets to go to school as soon as they're six, well, what happens between zero and six? And it's not all out of pocket. And that's a huge, huge, huge barrier for women, not just with being able to be in the workforce and be helpful, but just with being able to utilize really important years in their career and their trajectory. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense and everything, and I can definitely understand that. One of the things that I've been wondering about and wondering your thoughts about this in terms of social media and everything is, well, is social media and entrepreneurship. Because I know that I've actually recently joined a couple of social media sites like uh, Clubhouse and a number of others, and I sometimes find that they sometimes can be toxic to entrepreneurship and definitely toxic to some of the more progressive businesses. I guess I'll put it that way, some of the businesses that might be cutting edge, even though there are some folks that are definitely open to new ideas, but I was just wondering your thoughts about social media and how it plays into entrepreneurship. Gosh, social media is so challenging. I have to give myself so much space from it. Like, you can do it for a little bit and then a lot of space from it. I agree. I don't think it's, I mean, the internet in general is exciting for entrepreneurs because it's like you can build anything and, and in theory get in front of anyone. And there's, there's this unprecedented amount of freedom and reach. And that's that's why I love the Internet. That's why we had a tech company and, and we sell an online business. I love the creativity and, and the ability to reach new audiences. Social media is just a different beast. Um, it is, you know, it doesn't, it is not, it is the opposite of self-centered wellness. <laughs> it, is, it is so, so outward, so full of, comparison so biased I mean um, I was just reading this morning I got a newsletter from I think it was just later.com which is a site that helps you with social media planning and they were talking about Instagram I don't know what they called it like not blackouts but when Instagram starts to they don't disable your account they don't tell you there's anything wrong with it but you just stop displaying you just stop showing up for people you're not on oh, the I, think page. I think it's called you're shadow banning or something like that Thank you. I'm like blackout. Yes. Shadow banning. Shadow banning. And they were talking about how it's just how it disproportionately targets minorities. It disproportionately, like, I mean, Instagram hates us. We're a CBD company. They won't let us promote anything. So anything we do has to be organic. And then you know what happens when everything is organic? They don't display you because they display people that promote posts. And it's all fed in a Zuckerberg machine. So it's I don't know. It's all biased. It's all so egocentric. It it can be so deflating as an entrepreneur. 
you have to engage with it. You have to show up. But, I mean, I have to do it in such small doses. And I really think that, like, the practice of self-centered wellness, like we talk about it, coming within, finding your truth, your joy, your authenticity, taking the time to heal, having tools for wellness, tools for grounding, tools for coming within your body, tools for being in your body comfortably, which is what GT is amazing at. All of that is like the opposite feeling, experience, and effect to me of being on social media. <laughs> social media is a necessary evil. No, I definitely agree with you on that and everything. I was wondering, because that's actually something I asked the, uh, the other young lady that I talked to earlier today about wellness and everything, but how wellness plays into so many of the social upheavals that we're dealing with, whether it's Black Lives Matter, and I know Denver was definitely involved in that, and definitely some of the Asian hate that's gone out there and even some of the things that our Latin brothers and sisters have been going through. But I was just wondering, as a wellness expert, how do you think wellness plays into what our – relationship is with our like-minded humans and we know that this is pride month as well yeah yeah i mean what ge advocates for is um is authenticity and, and joy and that being the key to to wellness that it's impossible to be well when we are out of touch with our truth and one of the concepts of ge that that really resonates with me is ge is about um compassion and when you're doing, like, energy work or a lot of Eastern medicine and you look at the heart space, the heart is where we associate our relationships with others. But in, in, in energy work or in a lot of Eastern work, the heart space is where we hold the pictures of ourselves. And that is reflected in how we treat the world. Um, I think that quarantine and this pandemic and everything that we've been going through politically has I think it's been important. I mean, I think that what we've gone through with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, it, with all of these upheavals, are deep-rooted injustices that needed to be dealt with. And I think that the dis- us recognizing the dysfunction and the powers that be is easy to feel like maybe things were a little more under control than they were. <laughs> and having time to, to come within and time on our own seem to harness and unleash a lot of really necessary anger as a catalyst for change. And when we do, on a personal level, wellness work and healing work, it's not really fun. You know, you, you, you have to, I mean, that's the idea of GE, the products, is they're kind of a bomb and a, and a solution to ease the pain of that growth whether that's as simple as exercising and and feeling sore and not being able to sleep and feeling uncomfortable afterwards, um, or it's stress and that coming out in our skin and our face, or it's not being able to sleep, you know, that's kind of the more physical level of it. On an energetic and emotional wellness level, in my personal journey, coming within has always been very painful and um, has been challenging, and that's why I avoided it. And instead, I would starve or drink or work or do something else to distract. And I think that when we come within and we do the harder work, it can be much more painful. It's much more threatening to the ego and to our thoughts about who we are. And it takes more determination and resilience to move through that growth period. But at the other end, at the other side of that discomfort is is growth. And um, I think that that's what our country is working through on a collective level right now. 
And there's no way around it. There's no way around the systemic pain and injustice in our country. And it's time to address it. And in that, there's going to be a lot of anger. And there should be anger. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And it needs to be uncomfortable. So GE and our wellness practices aren't about taking away, aren't about stopping that. They're about allowing it. And they're about listening to it. And like the same way we learn to listen to our emotions as messengers instead of our, mess- our emotions as I am. You know, in English we say, I am sad. Well, you are not sad. You are feeling sad. And that's a huge shift for a lot of people. It's a huge shift for me to let feelings move through me and to be an indicator versus um, my new perception of who I was. And I think that our collective anger is really important. And um, personal wellness is a way to have resilience and to find our truth and to find our joy in the chaos of these really uncomfortable and times that feel very unstable. And um, that's, that's what the wellness community needs to be showing up for. And I think, it, I hope that we can be and, and other wellness providers can be just a resource, a grounding resource to provide some comfort and some, some physical peace as everyone moves collectively through these really emotionally challenging times that, that can't be avoided, that need to happen. No, I definitely agree with you on that. Now, um, I did want to circle back to one of the things we had talked about earlier and then one of the questions I usually ask towards the end and everything. But one of the questions I was curious about is, like I mentioned earlier, we've definitely seen a lot of the states that have legalized marijuana, but I was wondering, do you think that we will ever see in my lifetime, and I'm 59 now, so hopefully I'm going to make it to 100, but who knows. But do you think that we will see um, definitely the legalization across the board of marijuana, kind of like prohibition or kind of like some of the other things that have happened, even some of the rules that we have around cigarettes? So do you think that we will see that in this lifetime, or is this something that we won't see? Because I've also heard people that are concerned, and I don't know why, but they feel that sometimes that they want to claim that marijuana is a gateway drug to other harder drugs, but I've never seen any proof of that. But I was just wondering your thoughts on both of those. Yeah, I I believe, I do believe we'll see legalization in our lifetime. Um, and in the next, like, if we don't see it in the next 20 years, I'll be blown away. Um, I believe, I mean, I'd like to say we'll see it in the next 10 years. I don't believe it's right around the corner. Um, Biden has been really just, you know, I'm personally very happy he's elected. I think he's doing, you know, but he just doesn't seem, he's kind of old-fashioned about the marijuana thing. He's, like, willing to kind of stay out of it. He's not going to hurt anything. But he has a lot, he appears to have a lot of resistance to legalization. So that's why my energy continues to move towards safe banking. If we can have safe banking, I think it can solve a lot of the issues um, in a reasonable way. I don't, because, first of all, Biden's just not super warm to the idea of legalization. And so I, I really don't feel good about it. And then also 280E, the, the law that enables the, the government to make a lot more taxes off businesses because of their federally illegal status. I don't know if it's hugely motivated to um, change that. In terms of it being a gateway drug, I mean, I'm so biased here, so biased. So, but Jen, personally, me personally, I don't believe it's a gateway drug. I mean, I don't believe it's a gateway drug any more than like alcohol is. Having a few drinks, I think, will loosen someone up and make them just as likely to go, I don't know, do do another drug as um Marijuana. I think I think cannabis has amazing therapeutic benefits. I think we need a lot more research, which, because of its federally illegal status, we haven't been able to get. 
Um, we need to understand how, you know, these really potent strains are affecting our bodies. Without a doubt, young developing brains need to stay away from cannabis. I mean, the number one thing I've seen over the years is just study after study after study that, like, before, I don't know what the exact age is, but I want to say, like, a 23, 24, which is kind of old. It's, you know, it's older than even the legal drinking age. Um, the impacts of cannabis on the brain can be really, really huge and can be a predecessor to, you know, psychosis and, um, you know, more serious psychiatric conditions. To a more developed brain, we don't see that same impact. Um, and so I think number one, legal, um, you know, safe legalization is about keeping it out of the hands of kids, which is why I think a well-run legal market is essential for the safety of our children because you don't want young people um, you don't want drug dealers that are selling a lot of pot because then now you do have a gateway drug because pot isn't super addicting. And so, um, you know, they like to upsell kids into something stronger. I think a really strong legal market that pushes out the black market is so good for our youth. And we also know what we're getting. There's, there are, you know, you do want it to be regulated. So, like, one of the differences between our products and other people's products CBD, because it's not a licensed product, like we buy cannabis at a dispensary, it's a licensed cannabis dispensary, and everything is really, really strictly regulated. CBD, because it's legal under this farm bill, can just be sold. There's no oversight. So one of our key principles in developing GE was using the level of compliance that we observed in the cannabis space for our CBD products. So lab testing, really clean product. When you're dealing with CBD, which is an extract of the plant, it's similar to like edibles or when people get, you know, cannabis wax, um, you're extracting it from the plant. And so you're not just extracting the CBD or the THC, you're extracting whatever's on the plant. And so plants that are grown with pesticides and chemicals and then are extracted informally and not in a non-regulated way can be really toxic. So um, I think, yeah, I think that it's important that we have a legal market so that we know everything is produced really safely, it's produced really clean, and we disempower the black market, which is what I think is most dangerous to kids. And I personally don't worry as much about the impacts of cannabis on, you know, adults. I think it's more of a personal choice like alcohol. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm glad to hear that you're thinking that it could be changing in the uh, not-too-distant future and all of that. So I know a lot of friends of mine will be glad to hear you say that as well because they've got similar kind of attitudes and definitely are hoping the same kind of thing. So they'll be glad to hear that that's your thoughts and everything. Now, one of the things that I usually ask the guests, um, and I'll bring it up now and everything, is, of course, you know, this uh, whole blog talk radio and the network that me and Dana put together is a uh, international network. So we always are wanting our people to give words of encouragement to the national audience. And it may be in that wellness space. It may be in whatever space you feel like it being in. So any words of encouragement that you would like to share with our audience, I'm sure that they would love to hear that from you as well. Oh, what a, what a nice, so I, the, the, 
phrase that I come back to all the time, especially when thinking about self-centered wellness and, and a, you know, a response to some of these harder things we face as individuals, like I bring it up a lot in the eating disorder space um, in postpartum, is that you are not broken, the world is. And when mm-hmm. we take care of ourselves and we, we listen to our voices and we come into the world as our true selves and we're gentle with ourselves, um, we develop power to to fight and to create a different world. And when we're living differently, you know, the opposite of self-centered wellness. When we're when we're afraid, when we're looking outside for validation, when we're afraid of of our truth, when we're afraid we're not giving enough, when we're in a state of martyrdom and burnout, um, it's because we want approval from the world and we want to be told that we're good enough. And we we break ourselves in that process, and we can become very very weak. And I think it's so, so powerful to take ownership of not just your health, but of your wellness, of your truth, and to give yourself time and space to, to restore and to face, um, to face the pain of life, which is there. And you deserve that, and you'll be strong, and then you can fight because you are not broken. And, but the world definitely is. I can definitely agree with that. I was just curious now, when you were a youngster and everything and before you got married and had the family and everything, were you the one that everybody thought would be an entrepreneur or was this something totally new to you and it actually shocked the folks in your circle and everything when they found out that you were going to be this entrepreneur and all of this? I was wondering if this was something that was always in your wheelhouse and something that you always thought you were going to do. I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur. I um, used to, you know, run some pretty intense lemonade stands at like five, and then I tried to turn my house into a library, and I put barcodes on every book in the house and invited the whole neighborhood over. Um, I had a neighborhood newsletter. (laughs) I've always loved um, making, creating things, and I've always loved, like, businesses. But as I moved into high school, it's just what we were talking about. I I became really self-conscious and really caught up in, in high schoolness and, and wound myself into a really, really, really deep eating disorder, which completely disconnected me from my spark, my passion, my energy, anything. And that took a long time to unwind. So in college, I was a psychology major, thinking that I would become a clinical psychologist and work with eating disorder patients. Um, but in the gap between college and going to get my PsyD, I started a blog talking about psychology and self self development and, and self care. It was called Mismorphosis: Fearless Thinking for the Modern Myth, and um, it developed a really big readership and, and got offered a job as a marketing director. and And that sent me down back into my world of, of entrepreneurship and turning my parents' house into a library, which is absolutely who I am, and um, has been a. But you know, I do wish I had taken some business classes because I didn't. <laughs> I was sure I was. I was sure I was going to be a psychologist, and now I look back, and I I could have used my seven years of college a lot better. (laughs) So is that the one thing that you regret that you didn't do, that you wish you had done, which is actually get more involved in business? Because I sometimes wonder if business is a necessity to be a business person or an entrepreneur, but I was wondering your thoughts. I don't know. It's a huge regret. And I, I wonder every day, could I have learned this stuff in a classroom? I feel like maybe it would have um, been really, really hard to learn any of these things conceptually that I've learned in practice. 
but it also would have been a lot cheaper. So probably would have benefited me, but I was born an entrepreneur, and you can learn anything. You know, you, you really can learn and develop your skills. I don't think you have to have the education. I don't know. We'll see. Catch up with me in, like, 30 years, and we'll see how this all turned out. <laughs> now, would you suggest that um, – I can't remember whether you said you – I think you said you had daughters. Would you suggest that they go into business, and would you suggest that they go into this kind of entrepreneurship field? And if so, what kind of advice would you give them to step into this space? I think, you know, being an entrepreneur is probably how – it's how people talk about when they're, like, you know, actors or something like you're just no parent would recommend it and I mean no sane parent would recommend it but I think you're born with it I really try I tried to be a stay-at-home mom for for like a year I tried to work for people I mean I am an entrepreneur in my in my blood and in my bones I love coming up with ideas I love researching I love working with people I love every single part of the process and I I gravitate to it and I'm willing to bet it all on it and it's a highly risky, highly stressful way to live, but it is it is me existing. It's like a singer singing. It's just me doing what I know what to do in my bones and, and how I how I love to live. Um so I, I have one daughter, her name is Emma. If she if she felt the need to start something and be an entrepreneur, I would just tell her to to buckle up. I don't know that would be stressful to watch her go through it, but if it's who she is, it's who she is. That makes a lot of sense and everything. <laughs> what are some of the things that you have uh, surprised yourself about what you've learned about being an entrepreneur and being in that business space that um, you, like you said, you said that there are things that you wish you had known from the academic side, but what are some of the things about being an entrepreneur and particularly in entrepreneurship in this uh, hemp CBD space that has surprised you and that you wish you had known at a much earlier time? Well, that's such a great question. I have a, I have a good one. Um, so one lesson we really learned the hard way in cannabis was the power of um, intellectual property. So because cannabis isn't covered on a federal level, we had an attorney who encouraged us, like, don't trademark your name. Don't trademark anything because the federal government isn't going to approve it. You'll get first use in commerce by just being out there in, in first use in commerce. And we basically, within, we were live for about five months, and there are these guys that are these trademark trolls, and they basically look for young, vulnerable companies that they think are funded, and they extort from you because of your IP. So what happened was we stumbled across another site called Cannabase, and it's clearly a copy of ours. It has its own look, but it's just borrowing all of our everything, and it's really gross. And we send them a cease and desist. They work cannabis. You can't do this. And he writes back and says, well, you're cannabis in Colorado, but I am cannabis in these other three states, and I took $5 from someone in each of these other three states, and so I have first use in commerce in those states. And if you want to be cannabis in the whole country – you are going to need to buy the name from me, and I want, you know, like $100,000 in half of the company. And then he lawyered up with, like, a really great IP attorney. And so that was, oh, my gosh, that was earth-shattering. So one of the first, like, big, big lessons that we took from that and that we brought into GE was protecting your assets in terms of protecting your brand, your IP, own your names, trademark everything, um, if you do want to get to an exit, 
that is going to be a really important piece of your brand portfolio is not just building brand equity, but for that brand equity to be sellable, it needs to be protected. And, you know, in our case, which was probably very unique because we were a cannabis business, but will apply to other people that are in, you know, strangely regulated industries, um, we really got worked on that one. So I think protecting your IP, um, of course, keeping clean books from day one, everyone knows that, but that's really, really important. We finally now just use, you know, QuickBooks has a bookkeeper program. It's a couple hundred bucks a month, and there's a bookkeeper that reconciles your books every month. That is also so important. When you let those receipts, you let things get ahead of you, it can be really, really hard to play catch up and to keep your books balanced. And again, if you're ever looking for an exit, clean books, protected brand IP, those things are going to be really, really important. Now, that makes a lot of sense. Got to have those clean books and everything else. What are some of the other things that you need in terms of business sense? I'm oftentimes surprised from all businesses that they don't have necessarily a business plan. And I don't care whether it's a small business or something like CBD or whether it's like a big business. I've oftentimes been fascinated by the folks that aren't prepared to have business plans. A business plan is important. <laughs> um, a business plan is important. What's really important is to understand you know, your price model, because that can be something, that's an area where you do get, you do get locked. Whether you're a service and you get locked in with customers or you get, you're a physical product, but you get locked into deals with, you know, distributors or salespeople and you have to pay on those prices. You know, you have to stick with your pricing, but pricing models can be really complicated. And so understanding how am I going to sell if I'm going to sell to retailers or if I'm going to sell wholesale, how, how am I protecting my margins? That Those are important numbers. So even if you don't know, your business plan doesn't know all the hows and whys of how you're going to get there, you need to understand your cost of goods. You need to understand your distribution model. You need to understand what those margins are, and you need to be able to protect those margins because the biggest nightmare is it starts working and you realize it doesn't work. Um, I was meeting with a, a friend who's a young entrepreneur, and she was interested in wholesale. She started getting some wholesale offers for her homemade kind of like cosmetic company, which was super, super exciting. And all of a sudden she realized that her price was like, it was it was 30% of what it needed to be. There was no way she could sell wholesale. And so she either has to, so she either has to just completely stick with direct to consumer or she has to like triple her prices, you know, because a retailer doesn't want to be the one to triple the prices and someone can just go online and buy it for a third. So she had boxed herself out of that opportunity for those products. She had to design new products that then she could price appropriately. Um, so without a business plan, you know, there's things you can figure out, but you need a, you know, the number one number, the number one thing to watch when you're an entrepreneur is your cash burn. The cash burn is going to rule your life. You need to understand access to financing, you know, keep good credit so that you're able to leverage that. That's, that's how businesses grow. And knowing your distribution costs, your cost of goods, your hidden costs, and then understanding, I think what surprises me a lot is how few people think of the exit, which I know that's because an exit sounds really lofty, but it's not. An exit is a stage of a business, and you have to think about it from the beginning. Is there anything here that's sellable? What's proprietary? Do I own what's proprietary? What are barriers to other people doing what I do that someone else could just say, here, I'll take this money and just do it myself? So understanding what's different and what's transferable is going to be give you an idea of where to invest you know your precious resources, so that long term there's a multiple on what you're on what you're building. 
Now, that makes a lot of sense. One of the other things I talked to some of my other guests just in the past about was the folks that I call dream stealers, and they're folks that don't support your business and don't support what you're doing and things of that nature. So I was just wondering, what are the ways that you deal with those folks? Because I oftentimes find that a lot of times we do have folks that are out there that are dream stealers and don't necessarily want to support you. And sometimes they come from our friends and families. Sometimes they come from, uh, you know, definitely folks that might just be acquaintances. But I'm just wondering, as you've been in this entrepreneurial space, how have you dealt with those folks that are not supportive and maybe even some folks that you thought should be supportive? Yeah. I saw this quote on, like, Instagram or something the other day, and it said, some things will clear your vision and break your heart. And this is one of them. You know, when you launch a business, boy, do you learn you learn, you see a lot of things that maybe you didn't see before and in the dream stealers and the unsupportive people in your community, um, especially when your business is, is an extension of you and it's an, it's a, it's an honest reflection of, you know, your, your heart, your creativity, that can be incredibly painful. So there, you know, is, is self-centered wellness and taking that time to come within and say, I'm going to feel that wound. I'm going to let that hurt. And I'm going to, I'm going to find my, my truth and, and, and move forward versus trying to bury it, I think is a, a good first step. But um, my experience, honestly, so it was really different with cannabis because cannabis was B2B and, and it was, and it was in a really small world. It was just the cannabis industry, which was also brand new. So kind of no one had anything to say about it except for that super risky. Um, but I was also 24. And so nobody had much to say about it at all. In terms of high-risk 24-year-old things, it was like a, a relatively acceptable thing to be out there doing. I did experience it more with Tihi, um, being a mom, having a product that um, people around me understood, could buy. All of a sudden, everyone had an opinion, and it, it, was a, it was a challenging experience. And I think more than just the naysayers and the dream killers, you've got a lot of people that are neutral, a lot of people that don't care. And then you see the people that do come out and care. And from that, I would say there's two things. One is when people come out and they're dream killers and they're filled with fear and they're like, they fill you with that fear, that, that energetic enmeshment, like you can feel it go into your body, the way they look at you and like terror and you're like, oh my God, I should be feeling this terror because this is my livelihood on the line. That is their fear, not yours. And a lot of people are held back in life because they have a lot of fear and that's okay. But when you put yourself out there and you do something high risk and you do something interesting and you do something expressive and, and you are vulnerable, that lights up something, I think, in my opinion, and a lot of people that have been too afraid to do that themselves. And you will see that fear and you will see that rejection, but that is not yours. That's not your fear. That's not your truth. And that all comes back to this idea of our heart space, not just being the source of relationships, but being the place of how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves reflects in other people. And I've learned over time, I used to really internalize, you know, you want feedback, especially as a young entrepreneur. And when people look at your plans, they look at what you're doing, and they look at you horrified, like, you're going to, what are you doing with your life? It's hard not to get really, really scared. But as I began to look at them as, this is, these are your fear pictures. This is your fear. This is the stuff that's holding you back. And, of course, seeing me and seeing me not being held back and seeing me living, you react to that, of course. And that's yours, and this is mine. And so it, it all comes to me. It always comes back to self-centered wellness, to saying I'm going to take care of myself and I know myself and I, I know the choices I'm making and I'm super clear on my risks and I'm super clear 
on the rewards and I'm super clear on my plans. And I also, to be an entrepreneur, you have to surrender to, um, to the uncertainty. And, and but life is, is a process of surrendering and you have to kind of choose what kind of a life you want to live. And so, you know, those people that come in with their fear pictures and they're really attached to stability and they're really attached to a day job and they're really attached to their 401k and they're like, how are you doing this? And you're, you're going to fail. That's, that's why they've made the choices they have. And it's really important to separate it and just to move forward. That makes a lot of sense. How would you define a self-centered woman or a self-centered man? Like I said, I know you definitely use that term. I've brought it up a couple of times. But if you had to give a concrete definition, how would you define what that means to you and what the qualities are of that person? To me, someone who's self-centered is someone who um, their compass is within. And they have developed tools to navigate their inner world and they have honesty with their inner world. And a self-centered person, I think on some level, recognizes that they're, um, you know, and, and not to make it spiritual, but they're, they're a soul in a body. There's a me, there's Jen, and then there's this physical body that I'm in that I have to navigate. And then I have feelings and emotions and mood and seasons that move through me. But I am, I am centered as Jen, in this physical body and I hear my inner voice and I can, I can return here in a safe way. And I cultivate tools and practices that allow me to be, to to be, to, to come back here even when it's challenging and to be honest with myself and to move through it. Um, And so a self-centered person that's someone that centers within themselves is not going to, do these things that I've done in the past. They're not going to starve to prove to the world that they're valuable and worthy um, because that is not at all the truth of my inner world, of course. They're not going to sacrifice their well-being to work 100 hours a day to, to show the world that they're as good as the boys and can compete. That's not my true um, representation as an entrepreneur. That's not what I have to give the world. I have so much more to give not trying to be one of the boys and just being me is, is where my power lies and trusting that. Um, in a postpartum experience for men and women, I think a self-centered person knows that they can give so much more to their child by taking care of themselves and by dealing with their own stuff first and then taking care of their babies. We do so much more harm, I believe, abusing ourselves, being in a state of martyrdom, and then just projecting all of our issues and our unmet needs onto our children. To me, that is so much more dangerous than stepping back and taking the time and the resources to care for ourselves. And I know that the, the key piece here is the privilege of the time and the resources and the tools to care for ourselves in this way. And that is how we support each other as a community. And that's where we ask, you know, the government for support in terms of me talking about early childhood care or, um, being there, you know, for one another, to give each other space and to give each other space from projecting our own fear pictures and opinions, which goes back to what you were saying about the toxicity of social media, which is about just converting people to how we feel in this really impassioned way. It's the opposite of teaching, of giving each other space and compassion to just to be where we are and to grow. Um, so that was not a concise definition. I'm sorry. That was a, a long-winded definition. 
No, that's okay. I don't mind that at all. What examples would you give historically of self-centered people? Because I'm often fascinated by history and people's ideas of history because sometimes I can give people a framework for what that means to them and everything. So you give your personal definition, but there are like some historical figures that you would argue have been self-centered as well or maybe even some current people that are out there now. That is such a good question, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to think about that. I mean, I think the first, um, component of self-centered wellness is that we don't know who's being the, a self-centered person is, is true to themselves and honoring themselves in a really authentic way and it's impossible for us on the outside to know who's truly doing that but I think we can be inspired by people that we believe that we see that are are breaking the mold are true to themselves are pioneering and I think that I think that some that every not everybody many people are 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 living this in some ways and then maybe not others you know um I'm inspired by women who manage to be a mom and to go out and express themselves in the work world but then you see a story like the founder of Melissa and Doug she's been she has came out with a book and so she's been everywhere on the the news um, Melissa and Doug is like the children's toys that are all wood and they're, they're really nice. And I don't know, they came out like 30 years ago and she, they grew this toy company to being worth $500 million and she has six kids. And I look at that and I'm like, you're my idol. You have six children. You have this hugely successful business. It's these products that we buy and you came out with them 30 years ago. Like you're such a success. And this book was about her, her paralyzing depression and anxiety and that never left her and and it impacted her work and then as her kids got older she wanted them to be perfect and she was so hard on them whenever they weren't perfect and and just this so she's someone who I would say is like is doing it is living is successful and, and is doing all these things that I admire but when you hear her inner story there's so much pain and 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 not, and actually, she was living for that, for the the six kids and the money and the and the success and and appearing perfect to the world versus honoring who she really was. So maybe her being self centered and being well would have been a person that like had fewer kids and didn't have that success. And I never even would have heard of her. Like maybe the public figures that we see, maybe very few of them do have that level of contentment and peace because they are living in this this really public way. Um, so I think it's such a personal, such a personal journey. I agree. It's definitely a personal journey, and it's a journey that is very personal and definitely one that too many of us have to go through in one form or fashion or another. So I definitely agree that it's a very personal journey. And I'm wondering if uh, Dean is going to come in and share some of his thoughts as we're getting ready to wind down the show and all of that. So I'd love to hear from Dean as well. So if Dean can come in and let me know what's going on, I'd appreciate that. soon as we take it off and mute, <laughs> you know, but yeah, just, just listening. It's interesting conversation, man. I, you know, trying to learn some things over here. You think you know some stuff, but you really don't know some stuff. So you sit back and you, you kind of, you know, take it in and internalize it. Maybe one day it'll be able to, you know, I can be like Mike Tyson or something and own me some, uh, Something on the CBD side that uh, that uh, could earn some money or something like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Great the more we appreciate. learn, the less we know, right? Yeah, that, that's very true, you know, but we thank you. We definitely thank you for imparting the knowledge on us this evening, you know, so somebody listening somewhere will have learned as much as or more than I have. <laughs> Well, I'm so grateful for being here. These are like such thoughtful questions and, and like it's this has been such a fantastic experience. You guys are really wonderful. Well that that's you know, that's Mark Lee, man. That's that's what he does and that's what he's 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 very good at. You know, for me, I can ask a few questions but I don't have that that skill that he does, you know. I got it a little bit, but not as much. <laughs> Being a great interviewer is a skill. The, yes, excuse me. Is. The more I talk to people, the more you can just see the difference in, in questions. And someone who really hones in on 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 understanding what other people are wondering and and getting to the heart of that quickly, and not just kind of like tell us your story and then we like come back for air an hour later. I mean, to have these really pointed questions is, is so wonderful. That would be a lot. You said an hour later? Oof. Oh, I mean, there are just times you just kind of like, it's like you're just swimming. Like, what's your story? Okay, well, how did that go? How did that go? And it's like, you just had right. for an hour, which is nice. But it's like, that's just me talking for an hour. It's so much um, more fun to, to be in a, a dynamic like that with these interesting questions. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like I said, that that's that's his specialty on that one. And, 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 and that's what he... It is you know we know our roles and, and my role I would not have is I'll have a couple of good questions but he has greater questions if you put it you know if you put it like that. <laughs> a great team a great team yes 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 and we we've been around for a little while so again you know we we definitely appreciate the taking the time out of your schedule. To, to come and talk with us and to, you know, tell us what we needed to know, if you put it like that. <laughs> I appreciate you guys listening to my perspective on all these things, and um, it's been a super fun conversation. And, and I hope you check out Jihi. Jihi's a fabulous brand. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I saw it on the LinkedIn. You are the co-founder and CEO of the, and I'm glad you pronounced it because I was looking at it and I was like, is it Jahai or Jihi or, you know, and, and it's on a mission to help what it says, high-performing people sleep better, recover faster, and rejuvenate from the inside out. Jihi's proprietary yep. clean and highly functional CBD skin and body care was founded on the idea of self-centered wellness coming within to find our authenticity, our joy, and our power, and compassion for ourselves and the earth. So, yeah. And how long has that been in business? So we started development back in 2019. We spent two years working on the formulations um, Mm -hmm. and then the packaging and the brand, getting it all put together. And we went live um, January of this year. So it's a relatively, it's an old business to me, but it's a new business to the world. Okay. So, and preparation is key. So you had to get it right. You know, unlike some businesses, you kind of see them throw it out there and try to, 
figure it out as they go along, and, and that does not always work. You know, you'll see, even though with any business, there are things that you learn along the way, but it's easier when you already have it planned out, per se, and not just, hey, we got a business. You know, you see a lot of people <laughs> will do that, and they say, hey, support my business. Well, what is it? All right, I have these, uh, it's CBD. Okay, what is it? Well, you know, it's like <laughs> cannabis. Okay, what is it? And they can't really um, clarify or expound on what it is, what products they have, and the purpose for having it used. It's kind of like, are you going to support me or not? Well, I don't know what it is, and neither do you. So you try it first, and you tell me what it is, and then maybe I'll try it out. But when you do the yeah, when you take the time and, and you research the products and you know what you want to put, and how you want to put things together, and what goes with what else in order to come out with what you're looking for. So then when you write your write-up and you write your stuff how it is, you're able to explain it in words, and you're also able to verbally explain uh, and, and bring someone up from the idea to the product, which helps. A lot because now people will know. Okay, well, if you're getting a GE product, you're getting an official product. Absolutely, and and I I think we really banked on the idea that you know taking that time, like CBD, has really only been you know legal outside of the cannabis industry as just like this mass-produced product that can be sold anywhere in the U.S. since the 2018 mm-hmm. Farm Bill. So. You know, to say we worked on it for two years in this span of time is like at the very, very high end of the R&D spectrum in terms of of CBD companies. And for a brand new ingredient that, you know, people are going to spend real money on, it was important to us to develop something really innovative and interesting and that worked it's easy to say like i'm going to buy a vat of cbd and i'm going to throw it in something and then i'm going to sell it to someone i'm going to say take all this (laughs) cbd and give me all your money (laughs) like that's super lazy and you can do it but i think that is why people have such a bad experience in their mouths about cbd they're like i've seen all these companies and i buy bought stuff and it doesn't work and it's like of course it no i mean and maybe even if it worked you wouldn't know it because you weren't going to use it long enough to find out because it was a crappy experience. It was like a gross lotion or a gross-tasting tincture, and it had nothing else to offer a value. Our goal was let's create products that have so much value outside of the CBD. Then we'll amplify them with CBD, and we'll make them so fabulous to use and so addicting to use that you'll use them every day, and then you'll experience the benefits of CBD. But that, you know, took years. That took years of research and figuring out what those formulations would look like and exactly how they would work with the body and then how it would be packaged and sold. And um, we believe that that is what makes it such a phenomenal product and such a phenomenal opportunity. But And, and if you've seen a thousand companies that are just this kind of gross, easy to buy, easy to create stuff... And everyone's kind of burnt out, and that's that's the part that's kind of a bummer about all these quick to market companies. Right, right. Throw it out there, and it's like hope everybody catches it. But then when they catch it, they want to throw it back because it's not uh, quality. 
Exactly. Exactly. And so you can, you know, and some of them are like really high dose and really cheap. Like this isn't pot where you're just like, I want it to be really strong and then I'm going to feel it. <laughs> it's not, I don't think it's a dose thing. I mean, the, the, our products are really well dosed. They're a really great amount of CBD. You're going to get the effects you're looking for and more isn't necessarily better. To complement that, let's have other active ingredients that also really give you what you're looking for. So this product delivers um, versus just this what's become this race of like milligrams to price ratio. How cheap can I get it out with how many milligrams? And then um, people have, yeah, they have like a really crappy experience. But then you can make it cheap. So then more people will buy it if it's $15 right. and it has a ton of milligrams bunch of people buy it, but no one ever comes back. And I think that's the, the GE difference, which is where it takes, you know, a little more education. It takes a little more understanding because our products are a little more expensive um, because that's what the ingredients cost. There's absolutely no way around, uh, you know, these kinds of ingredients. Actually, the products are like our serum is $55. It has 250 milligrams of CBD. But this serum, as a woman who has bought a lot of serums in my life and as a businesswoman who did a lot of research in this formulation, this is a $55 to $75 serum without the CBD. When you're talking the hyaluronic acid, the vitamins, the oils, the non-commutogenic, the, the weight, the weight of the serum, like how it lifts on the skin, how it dries, easy this is a 55 to 75 dollar serum so we price it at 55 dollars which is the serum with 250 milligrams broad spectrum cbd so it's a phenomenal value of product but if you've been looking at you know 1500 milligrams for a gas station gummy for 20 dollars, you might have no idea why you would need a 55 dollar face serum even though the serum is going to be it's going to transform your your skincare routine it's a phenomenal product so we understand that, you know, our product is going to take a little bit more education, and that's why we really invest in our website, and that's why I'm here talking, and, and we're showing up for it. Um, but our reorder rates are huge. We, we have our customers buy, and then they actually come back and buy two because, like, they take the sleep tincture, and then their husband starts taking it because he's like, give me that. And the next thing you know, they're buying two bottles instead of one. Um, so that's part of the, the business strategy, and it's a little more work, and it was a little more R&D, and it's a little more intensive, but it, it really delivers as long as we show up for that education component. Nice. Nice. Mark, anything you want to add? He must have left. <laughs> well, we're going to... Wind it down, and, and and again, thank you for for coming, and and we hope to hear more from you. Yes, I would, I would love to keep in touch. This has been fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a good one now. You too. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Hey. All right. Uh, before everybody leaves, uh, Miss Becca, oh, I thoroughly okay. enjoyed being here. I'm back at everything. I was having a thousand and one things going on. People bugging me on the phone and everything. You know, that's what happens when you're an entrepreneur on this side as well. But you have been a great guest, and I want you to come back, Miss Beck. Uh, definitely share with us any new things that you have going on. But I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and interviewing you. And I hope I didn't throw you too many curves. And by the way, Dean, you did a great job sitting in my. Studio 
steps because I did get to hear you do five minutes of interviewing, and you said that I that you are not as good as me, but I would actually no. argue that you're not a bad interviewer as well. So I definitely just wanted to throw that in there because I was over there I listening. And I was like, nah, like I said, we have different styles, but I think that you do a good job of interviewing as well. So I just wanted to let folks know that Dean can handle his own when he needs to and everything, whenever things are going a little bit on the wild side here and everything. But I definitely hope that you enjoyed the conversation, Ms. Beck, and hopefully that you'll come back in the not-too-distant future. I loved it, and thank you. And, you know, we're going to be launching these Spread Joy initiatives kind of across the country over the next few months, which we're really excited about. Um, so as things get rolling and we find more opportunities to give back, uh, please, you know, check out the website, spreadjoy.ghi.com, and then also ghi.com, J-I-H-I.com. And if anyone has ideas for initiatives, ways that we could be spreading joy and promoting self-centered wellness in the community, please send me an email, jen at ghi.com, J-E-N. And as, you know, these initiatives, we start getting these rolled out, I would love to come back and, you know, share our progress with you guys and, and keep the conversation going. I would definitely love that as well. So we look forward to having you come back in the near future. And definitely uh, I know that folks will be checking us out from around the globe because we are a global network. So people may be even reaching out to you, who knows, from India or Brazil or, of course, the 50 states, uh, you being there in Denver. And I'm sure that some of my North Carolina folks have been listening. And I know some people here in North Carolina that are, like I said, in the CBD trade, but also in the cannabis trade as well. So I'm sure they were checking it out, or if they're not checking it out, they'll check it out with my friend Brian calls Team Replay. So definitely they'll catch it in one version or another, and they may have some thoughts about some of the great information that you were sharing, and of course they might even want to be business partners with you as well. Yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone. Please please reach out, jenatgehe.com. Well, thanks again for being on. Jane, it looks like we're wrapping up. looks like we're heading into the yeah. home stretch and all of that. And I know you've got to talk about the various shows that we've got. And we've got some amazing shows that are part of our network, including, um, of course, our buddy Russ and a number of others, because Russ is out there in the West Coast as well. So, you know, Russ is out there in yeah. that West Coast area. And we've got some other shows that are West Coast-based, because we are a global network. And I'm sure you want to share that. And like I said, we've had some amazing interviews, actually, on the uh, one of the shows earlier today, and that'll be one of the reruns. Had a chance to interview Wafik, um, who is a friend of mine, who is an improv comedian. So he was giving some great jobs, had some great funny humor, and one that I think you'll enjoy. It's even funnier when you get to see it on the video version, the live stream. <clears throat> but I think the audio will work as well because in the midst of the protest, in the midst of a George Floyd protest, he goes looking for a Popeye's chicken. So he's trying to find a Popeye's chicken <laughs> in the middle of the protest, including asking the officers and some of the protesters if they knew where the Popeye's chicken was. So like I said, it's a hilarious bit right at the end of the interview, and he does share some other important thoughts because he is also a journalist by trade, so he does share some important thoughts, but he also shares some human, um, humor, including talking about wrestling versus wrestling. So, you know, definitely some humor is involved as well. So I think folks will enjoy that re-air when it comes their way in about a week or so. But definitely okay. uh, the Popeye chicken routine, I think even you will be sitting there cracking up, and it's at the end of the uh, radio show with Mark Lee. So, like I said, I think even you'll be cracking up going like, no, this man is not looking for no Popeye's chicken in the middle of a protest. <laughs> hey, bro, you get hungry, you got to handle that business, you know what I mean? So you you, 
You can keep marching if you want to, but if that sugar level <laughs> drops a little bit, you might have to go ahead and sit down. So you never know, man. You never know. You know what I mean? That is but, very uh, true. <laughs> yes, sir. It, it, indeed, man. And it's, it's Straight Talk with Dean and Mark, y'all. Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to catch our replays on the Skyhawk Radio Networks tomorrow afternoon and Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, if you miss those, you can catch our replays on Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Podfollow, Deezer, GeoSaving, and also right here at Blog Talk Radio, where we are part of the Level Podcast Network. We catch other shows like the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, the Chef Gang Radio Show, Funk from the Front Seat, Funk Music with Zach, Learning Unwrapped, Let's K-12 Better, Marketing with Russ, a.k.a. hashtag Russ Selfie, Mona Shake in the Minority Reports, Mullings, Music and Memories with Mark Lee, The Online Dinner Party with Mark Lee, The Plant a Good Seed Podcast, The Reinvention Road Trip, She's on Call, the Just Podcast, The Markley Show, The Spinet Social Hour, Virginia Interfaith Live, WNC Original Music, and us right here, Straight Talk with Dana Mar. Like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, it's showtime, and the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the six-man Dean Geronimo. Have an outstanding week. We see y'all in seven days. Peace. T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. 
proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Across the country, hate crimes are on the rise by more than 25% in the last five years. The good news is there's something you can do about it right here in your community. If you witness or experience a hate crime, you're not alone, and the FBI is here to help and commit it to justice. Report hate crimes at 1-800-CALL-FBI or tips.fbi.gov. Protecting our communities together. Report hate crimes.
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.